Welcome to Mitcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 400.5, recorded on Sunday the 13th of November 2022. Beginning the free cycle, I'm Bill. Still confused, I'm Moss. It's freaking cold in Texas. I'm Joe. Using European spelling in the notes to confuse all the other hosts, as it was pointed out to me, I'm Norbert. Hey folks, it's that time of year again. Time for the Hacker Public Radio 24 Hours New Year's Eve show. We encourage everyone to join us for stimulating conversation and maybe send a Happy New Year's greeting to the HBR community. We plan on starting at 10 a.m. UTC, December 31st, also known as 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we will keep the recording going until 12 a.m. UTC, January 1st, also known as 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless people are still on and talking. To join us, all you have to do is install Mumble. It is available on all platforms, including iOS and Android. Then, just create a nick and go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details. Connect, join the Hacker Public Radio room, and you're there. If you can't join us in Mumble, but would like to hear the show live, we will have a stream up so you can listen. You can go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details of the stream. So come on and join us. It's always a good time. In our innards section, we continue our historical journey through the Linux distros and finally the feedback and a couple of suggestions if they magically appear. Well, cool beans. Moving on to Linux innards. Uh, we're uh, sort of carrying on this week our uh, journey into the history of Linux and it turns out that even at this point, that history is somewhat rich, and this week we're going to be talking about Debian. We're going to get into some of the Ubuntuids and uh, and then uh, Mint, of course, being part of that. Um, but anyway, first up is Debian, and that is your baby, Norbert. Yeah, I, I told away. you that I would be on the podcast. I would be coming back, and you were like, okay, sure, you can cover Debian. And I wasn't counting. I was. I wasn't planning on still having a sore throat, so I will try to manage. Debian GNU Linux is a community-driven distribution, and the second oldest still actively maintained distro, only beaten by Slackware by about a month. Debian was founded by Ian Murdoch on the sixteenth of August, nineteen ninety-three, and was sponsored by the GNU project for one year between November nineteen ninety-four and November nineteen ninety-five. Uh, and there are two quotes from I. Most of this stuff I got from the the brief history of Debian documentation from the the Debian documentation team. And uh, there are there are two lines that I found interesting. One of them is Debian is the most significant distributor of Linux that is not a commercial entity and the only large project with a constitution, social contract, and policy documents to organize the project. And the other interesting thing was it says the only distribution with, which is micro-packaged using detailed dependency information regarding inter-package relationships to ensure system consistency across updates. So I wasn't quite sure what that means because as far as I can tell, that is what uh, most package managers do. So I, I, I guess I'm not really sure what micro-package means. Does anyone have any idea? Anyway, um, anyway, uh, we start with Debian 0 0.91 in January of 1994. And uh, there's a quote from Ian Murdoch. He says it had a, and Moss's cursor is covering what I'm trying to read, read. 
It had a primitive package system that allowed users to manipulate packages, but that did little else. It certainly didn't have dependencies or anything like that. By this time, there were a few dozen people working on Debian, though I was still mostly putting together the releases myself, I being Ian Murdoch. Uh, no, uh, most accidentally, uh, uh, you accidentally, it was meant to be 1995. <coughs> so, so that was nine. I did not change anything, Norbert. There was just a blank space. Oh, sorry. I just brought it up. So that was up. 1994. There was no release in 1995. The year was mostly spent with organizing the project to make it, to make contribution easier. And there were multiple releases throughout 1995. These were, these were multiple releases of Debian 0 0.93, which was the first modern release of Debian. It included uh, DPKG, which was used to install and maintain packages in the system. And uh, the number of developers working on Debian at this time were about 60. Uh, and members considered distributing source-only packages initially, and packages would consist of upstream sources the upstream source plus the Debian package files, and the users would have to un untar uh, packages, apply the Debian patch, and compile the packages themselves. But they soon realized that a method of binary distribution was needed. And during the pre production of Debian 1.0, Ian Murdoch stopped actively working on the project in March of 1996, and he appointed Bruce Perel parents as the next leader, who had already been maintaining the base system for nearly a year. The Debian free software guidelines and the Debian social contract were formed at this time. Bruce parents also spearheaded the creation of the Software in the Public Interest Incorporated nonprofit organization, which helps Debian and other similar organizations develop and distribute open software and hardware. In and as a little aside, in August 1995, Hartmut Koptein started the first port for Debian for the Motorola M68K family, reporting that, quote, many, many packages were I386 centric, and it was a hard time to get a starting base of packages on my, on my machine, which was an Atari Medusa, end quote. And then we arrived to Debian 1.0 note, it was Debian 1.1 in June of 1996, because what was called 1.0 during production was released as 1.1. This was to avoid confusion after a CD-ROM manufacturer mistakenly labeled an unreleased version as 1.0. This incident led to the concept of official CD-ROM images to help vendors avoid this kind of mistake. And uh, as I'm sure a lot of people know, Debian releases are the code names. They are named after Toy Story characters. And uh, I just learned this from the brief history of Debian document that Bruce, uh, the, the, product, the project lead at the time, was working at Pixar. And at this time, Toy Story has already been released. So this is how we got code names like Debian 1.1 Buzz, 1.2 Rex, and 1.3 Bow, and the others. Bruce Perens was uh, replaced by Ian Jackson as project leader in January of 1998. And in July of 1998, we get to Debian 2.0 HEM, which was the first multi-architecture multi release uh, for the Intel i386 as the previous one, and uh, the Motorola 68000 series as well. In March of 1999, we get Debian 2.1 Slinky, where two more architectures were added, Alpha and Spark. And the project leader at this time was Richard Ackerman. The size of uh, the Debian, uh, the package count was 2,250 packages for Debian at this time, which were distributed on two CDs in the official CD set. And uh, this is the release where apt, the package manager, was first introduced as a new package manager in management interface. Then in August of 2000, we get 2.2 Potato, and there were a couple of new architectures here as well, PowerPC and ARM. In July of 20, 
2002, we get uh, Debian 3.0 Woody, and there were multiple new architectures here, IA64, HP, PA Risk, MIP, and S390. And uh, there were more additional architectures added in, in the versions to come, which I didn't list here. This was the first release to include cryptographic software due to exportation being lightened in the US. It was also the first release to include KDE, with, uh, with the cute license issues were having been resolved by them. And there's another aside here, a little story. Uh, the University of Twin Network Operations Center, NOC, code fire. This is, sorry, in November 2002, on the 20th of November 2002, around 8 o'clock CET, the University of Twin of 2020, not sure how that's pronounced, the University of Twent Network Operations Center, NOC, caught fire. The building burned to the ground. The fire department gave up hope on protecting the server, the server area. Among other things, the NOC hosted uh, SATI.debian.org, which contained both the security and non-US archive, as well as the new maintainer, uh, NM, and quality assurance QA databases. Debian rebuilt the servers, the services on the host Clacker, which was recently moved from the USA to the Netherlands. In June of 2005, we get 3.1 Sarge. There were new, no new architectures, but there was an unofficial AMD64 port started at this time. We also got a new installer. The Debian installer was introduced in this release, uh, and it included features like automatic hardware detection. This was also the first release we included a full office suite, which was open office. And the project leader at this time was Brandon Robinson. In April of 2007, we get Debian 4.0H. AMD64 was now officially added as an architecture. The number of packages was 18,000 binary packages distributed over 20 CDs or 3 DVDs, plus two additional CDs if you wanted to have uh, different desktop environments. In February of 2009, we got 5.0 Lenny, and in February of 2011, we got 6.0 Squeeze. And this is around the time where the releases between versions started to become roughly the same two years. In 6.0 Squeeze was introduced a dependency-based boot sequence, which allowed for parallel init script processing, speeding, systems, speeding up system startup. In May of 2013, we get Debian 7 Wheezy, and apparently this is where they dropped the point .0 from the versions, from the version names. So 6.0 was squeezed, but Wheezy is just named 7. Uh, this was the first release to support booting using UEFI firmware, which uh, is, for me at least, uh, but to be fair, three years ago when I was on Windows, I didn't really know what UEFI was versus Legacy Boot. But uh, when I think about how long UEFI has been around, it's uh, surprisingly not that long since Debian had it, 2013. So it, it's less than 10 years, which is interesting. Then in April of 2017, uh, 2015, we get Debian 8 Jesse, which was uh, the first release where SystemD was the init system. And... Uh, in December of 2015, Ian Murdoch, the founder of the Debian project and its community, died. Passed away. Then, in June of 2017, Debian 9 Stretch was dedicated in the memory of Ian Murdoch. And uh, in this version, they dropped the support for the PowerPC architecture which might have been a stretch, but we know Debian. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been waiting this past two hours to make this joke. <laughs> well done, you know Robert. And now we are approaching the present. In August of 2021, Bullseye was raised, Debian 11. And this was the first version where I was actually around in the Linux community and looking forward to release. But the reason I was looking forward to Debian 11 is that uh, Debian 12 would actually start development and I can install it as Debian testing. And Debian 12 Bookworm 
is expected to release sometime in 2013 if uh, if releases uh, continue to be roughly two years apart. And we also have confirmed names for two other future re releases, Debian 13 Trixie and Debian 14 Forky. And uh, this uh, brief history of Debian document also included the Debian Code of Conduct, which uh, was summarized in six points. I'm not going to read the detailed points, just uh, the headlines of them. Number one is be respectful. Two, assume good faith. Three, be collaborative. Four, try to be concise. Five, be open. And number six was in case of problems, because they knew that sometimes people would have bad days and uh, might not adhere to the code of conduct and in those times uh, one should remind them of the code of conduct. So all in all I really find the Debian project interesting because when I first my first impression of Debian was when I really didn't know anything. When my friend told me that he uses Debian testing, I thought that it was a pen testing distribution because I wasn't familiar with the testing as in the non-stable branch terminology. And then uh, he also told me that Debian packages are quite outdated. And when I heard that, I thought that means the project is not developed anymore. But of course, that's not true because Debian takes their time. And uh, when they release, a a, when they actually do a release, they make sure to do a lot of fine tuning. Uh, on the level of packages and the package configurations. And there was a few... I've always had trouble with that that whole it's outdated thing too because you're... I think what people conflate is the idea that packages should be right on par or as close as possible to the latest release of the upstring. Well, and it's really a mistaken way to think because it being, ups, being upstream parallel is not the same thing as knowing that it's going to work well on your distribution. Well, I so, guess I mean, one package version that can illustrate what people mean is that Debian 11 Bullseye was released in August of 2021, which was around five, yeah, five months after GNOME 40 was released, but it still was shipped with GNOME 3.38 which uh, is still the version of GNOME in the which is in current uh, Debian Stable, which is still 11, uh, which came out two years ago. So Debian Stable still has a two-year-old version of GNOME. Is is So when the people say it's outdated, obviously it's not outdated as, I mean, if, if it had five-year-old packages, you could make the argument that it's very outdated. Of course, two years is not that old. But uh, distributions, I see a trend towards uh, shorter production cycles. For example, I think uh, Red Hat Enterprise releases have have been having roughly 10-year support cycles, but maybe with things like CentOS Stream that will shrink and will be more like what Ubuntu LTS has with five years. Although even Ubuntu LTS has a the Ubuntu Plus 4 Pro, which adds another five years. Businesses do not like change. There are still hundreds of computers out there running Windows XP. Except Google. And many of them are in, in very, very prominent places like banks. Except Google <laughs> who actually rebased so. their internal production distribution on Debian testing a few months or ago, or roughly a year ago. Google is not a business. It is everything. <laughs> All the companies are businesses. What did you just say, Moss? They do not function like a business. They function like a... a uh, my brain's gone. Google functions okay. like one of the biggest businesses in the world. But they don't function as we need to keep stable. They function as we need to forge forward. Yeah. And most businesses just want to keep their stuff the way it is and leave it that way. They want to keep their infrastructure the way it is. That way they can rely on it. Their product line, they want to keep up to date. 
Google. I mean, that seems it like they are just. Just depends on how you look at it. They are throwing stuff on the wall to see what sticks. But with with things like Stadia, they seem to be taking things off the wall before they can see whether it sticks Elon or Musk. not. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's 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 oh, move Elon. on. Oh, uh, Elon. Next, yeah. Subject. Let's let's not elongate the discussion. Yeah. Oh no. Let's leave the horrible puns to the fathers. Welcome back, Norbert. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> let's leave the dad jokes to the dads, okay? Quit stealing my shtick. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. I, I, I have these in reverse order in the notes, and I'm just going to run with it this way. But, yeah, I really should have done Memphis before Raspberry Pi, but <clears throat> they're separate enough that I don't mind. No, Raspberry Pi OS and uh, Raspbian. Raspbian was first developed by Mike Thompson and Peter Green, and it was first uh, released in July 2012 as an unofficial port of Debian to the Raspberry Pi, which has been around since February of that same year, 2012. The Raspberry Pi Foundation built on this work and started producing and releasing their own version of it, which became the official operating system of the Raspberry Pi. The first release was officially announced on September 10th of 2013. One of the interesting things about Raspbian is that it was made to be compatible with all versions of the Pi as the Pi was released. So if you had an image and program that worked with the Pi B, it would work with any of the other Pis all the way up through the Pi 4. And yes, things that worked on the Pi 1B plus would work on or do work on the Pi 4 using the 32-bit operating system. But then a new version of the OS was released on May 28th, 2020, which was the 64-bit beta and was not based on the original um, Raspbian build. So it was renamed to Raspberry Pi OS, which the 32-bit version that is still based on the original Raspbian also adopted as a as the name of the OS. The first official release was February 22nd of this year, but um, it's also not backwards compatible because the Raspberry Pi 4 was the first of the uh, Raspberry Pi boards that was 64-bit capable. So, And that's just a, a brief history of the Raspberry Pi and uh, Raspbian OS. It hasn't been around that long, and it's a very slow, iterative change process for that and if you mention my question sorry is that so debian has official support for arm and there's also raspberry pi os but i've also heard that this about this solution called ARMBM. so are those three separate yeah, debian based um, they ARM? are uh separate debian based well ARMBM actually might be the debian release um for arm i'm not quite certain of that but but there are different. If, it, if it's a, if it's an official support, wouldn't it still be called Debian, but just for ARM? Who knows how no. people decide to name things in the Linux space? But I assume there's a, a collaboration between the three. I wouldn't know if there was collaboration sure between the three, but sure I assume the that they have their own developers. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, there are a lot of other operating systems that do run on the Raspberry Pi, but this is just about um, the the official ones there. Okay, uh, moving on, um, I, I kind of put uh, Mepis, Anti-X, and MX all together in the same section because they're extremely interrelated, and you can't really talk about one without, well, you can't talk about MX without talking about Mepis, and you can't talk about Anti-X without talking about Mepis. So it's easier just to put them all into the same category. Now, Mepis was first released in 2003 and based on Debian. Um, it was originally designed to be an alternative to SUSE, Red Hat, and Mandrake. It was developed by Warren Woodford and made to be simple enough for average users to reduce the barrier of entry for new users. It was made for desktops and laptops and just made to be simple. Um, in 2006, it made the transition from using Debian to using Ubuntu packages on the back end, but only for a couple of releases before going back to Debian. 
Um, this led to Simply Mepis, which is designed for everyday desktop and laptop computing purposes. It was released in May 2011, and it didn't last long, and the final release was actually July 2013 for Simply Mepis. Um, it was slightly popular at the time sim because it was easy to install and easy to use compared to a lot of other Linux distros. Now, Antiax was also a variant of Mepis and is based on Debian Stable. It was made to be lightweight and considered to be suitable for older computers while using a modern kernel and applications. Um, interesting to note that it does not ship with systemd support, with, but with uh, sysvinit as the default. Now, MX Linux was based on the various versions of Antiax joined together by Mepis in 2014. Uh, with the first public beta being released in November 2016. Um, it's what I use for older 32-bit systems or extremely low-resource systems. Um, it uses Debian as the backend, and while it does ship with systemd, it is not enabled by default, um, at least in the versions that I use. You have to go in, and if you want to use systemd because you're familiar with it, you have to force it to use that. Um, now, it was originally meant to fit onto a CD, CD, which limited the number of applications that could be included, but uh, that limitation was lifted from later releases because everybody moved away from CDs. I think I threw some away the other day that were like 20 years old and hadn't been touched in at least 10. And that's really all there is uh, for my part for... Mepis, Anti-X, and MX. Boss? I believe that MX is based on XSCE Desktop. They, they have, may have other options, KDE but that's the main and, one. Uh, they, they have a window manager. I think it's called... Uh, Ice? Some, something, no, something box. Um, Busy box? No, that's not a window manager. It's not manager. a window manager. Is busy busy box is corridors thing. Okay. Well, anyhow, let's move on to Ubuntu. As I adjust my microphone squeakily, you can't talk about Ubuntu without first talking about Mark Shuttleworth. Mark Shuttleworth obtained a Bachelor of Business Science degree in Finance and Information Systems at the University of Cape Town, South Africa. As a student, he became involved in the installation of the first residential internet connections at the university. In September 2000, Shuttleworth formed HBD Venture Capital, which means Here Be Dragons, a business incubator and venture capital provider now managed by Knife Capital. In the 1990s, Shuttleworth participated as one of the developers of the Debian operating system. In 2001, he formed the Shuttleworth Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to social innovation, which also funds educational, free, and open source software projects in South Africa, such as the Freedom Toaster. In March 2004, he returned to the free software world by forming Canonical Limited for the promotion and commercial support of free software projects and especially funding the development of Ubuntu, a Linux distribution based on Debian. Now, uh, the, the South Africans will say it's Ubuntu, and I my mouth doesn't work that way, I'm sorry. In 2005, he founded the Ubuntu Foundation and made an initial investment of $10 million dollars in the Ubuntu project, Shuttleworth is often referred to with the tongue-in-cheek title Self-Appointed Benevolent Dictator for Life, or S-A-B-D-F-L. To come up with a list of names of people to hire for the project, Shuttleworth took six months of Debian mailing list archives with him while he traveled to Antarctica aboard the icebreaker Kapitan Klebnikov in early 2004. On 15th of October 2006, Mark Shuttleworth became the first patron of KDE, the highest level of sponsorship available. This relationship ended in 2012, together with financial support for Kubuntu, the Ubuntu variant, with KDE as the main desktop. Ubuntu is built on Debian's architecture and infrastructure based on Debian testing, but adds a number of tools and utilities as well as making some proprietary as well as making some proprietary software available. 
It comprises Linux server, desktop, and the now discontinued phone and tablet operating system versions. The phone and tablet version, Ubuntu Phone, has been picked up by the community, which has formed the UbiPorts community. Ubuntu releases updated versions predictably every six months, and each release receives free support for nine months. It was 18 months prior to 13.04. With security fixes, high-impact bug, high bug fixes, and conservative, substantially beneficial, low-risk bug fixes. The first release was on October 2004 and was appropriately numbered 04.10, codenamed Warty Warthog. The first LTS release was 06.06, Dapper Drake. Ubuntu's default desktop changed from GNOME 2 to the in-house developed Unity desktop in 2007, but in 2017 was chained back to GNOME version 3 for the release of version 17.10. Ubuntu is released every six months with long-term support releases every two years. As of October 2022, the most recent release is 22.10 Kinetic Kudu, and the current long-term support release is 22.04 Jammy Correction. Jellyfish. Unity was uh, first in Ubuntu in 2010 in the Netbook Edition, and I think from 2011 it was on the main Ubuntu. It was a respin at that time. It was not official until uh, 2010. Okay, I got a year. I I got this right out of Wikipedia, and you know they're always right. Besides the regular Ubuntu distribution, various teams have re-engineered Ubuntu Core to work with other popular desktops. Most of these teams started out as community organizations, but many of them have become official flavors, including Kubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, Xubuntu, Lubuntu, Ubuntu Studio, Ubuntu Budgie, Ubuntu Chillin, and with release 22.10, a community-driven Ubuntu Unity. There are others out there which are still unofficial. Most of these, such as Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix, have hopes of becoming official flavors. Others, such as Rhino OS, a rolling distribution based on Ubuntu, have decided to remain outside the canonical umbrella. Many other distros are based on Ubuntu Core, the most popular being Linux Mint and Zorin OS, and other distros may be based on those, such as Farron OS. I think I already named off all the flavors, so I'll skip that. Uh, we have links for the Spin, Cinnamon Remix, Rhino Linux, and Ubuntu Phone. Uh, Ubuntu Phone is still using a variant of Unity Desktop, which is currently being rewritten and retooled. And uh, instead of being Unity 8, they're renaming it Lomiri. While the Unity Desktop is being re renamed Unity X. I think that's it. We kind of ran through it. Which leads us to Linux Mint, Bill. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, finally, something on Mint. Okay. Um, much of what I've got here. Well, I've got two major sources I got this from. Uh, one being Linux Mint and then the other being um, History of Linux Mint from the topnewreview.com. Um, so... You could, uh, some of this will be linked from there. But anyway, um, to start with, according to Wikipedia, Linux Mint is a community-driven Linux distribution based on Ubuntu, which is, in which is in turn based on Debian. We all know that. Bundled with a variety of free and open source applications that can provide full out-of-the-box multimedia support for those who choose to include proprietary software such as multimedia codecs. The Linux Mint project was created by Clement Leferb and is actively maintained by the Linux Mint team and community. Linux Mint 1.0, codenamed Ada, was released in August of 2006. It wasn't until release of 3.0 Cassandra we started seeing the Mint logo we know and love today. One of the most effective claims to fame was, the Mint, uh, was that Mint came pre-installed with a full set of multimedia codecs. That was the driving force behind its reputation. And I can, I can personally 
say that in the early days, uh, most of us sort of get started in Ubuntu and then find out that getting codecs to work property was a, properly was a bit of a faff. It could be done, but it was a bit of a faff, and you could just install Mint and watch your videos and play your MP3s right Especially out of the Especially in 2006. Yeah, yeah. It was... It, it just wasn't real clear at the time to me, you know, why all that stuff worked the way it did. I was just, I just knew that Mint worked right out of the box. So I, that was the first distro that I actually stuck with over a long period of time. Um, although the distro almost immediately began gathering a strong user base, Mint wasn't considered the most stable Linux distro out there. Many attribute this to the fact that it was initially based on Kubuntu Dapper. It was for this reason, Clem released Mint 2.0, codenamed Barbara, based on Ubuntu 6.10, edgy eft, later the same year as Ada, which was considered uh, the same year as Ada, that is, which uh, was a considerable improvement in stability. Mint enjoyed some success in the early years, presumably because of the Windows release of Vista, relatively the same time period, which to this day is not considered one of Microsoft's bright and shining achievements. Um, it was because of Mint's effort to make the distribution comfortable for users accustomed to the Windows paradigm, that being taskbar at the bottom and you know the, the, the menu being in the place where you expect it to be in and the uh, system tray being where you expect it to be, and then you have icons on the desktop that you can click on, all that stuff that Windows, us Windows users are uh, used to having. We had all that right from the get-go with, uh, with Mint. Um, many ad uh, early adopters used it rather than Ubuntu itself. Uh, so in 2011, I'm skipping ahead here, but in 2011... Linux Mint 12 Lisa was a significant release as it was the first version to support the desktop environment Mate. Mate pronounced Mate. There you go, Moss. Mate. And That's named Norbert. after. <laughs> but it is. Uh, Norbert actually drinks the stuff. Yeah. I heard Mate. And named after the South American beverage mate is a fork from the popular gnome 2 desktop that became popular due to controversy over gnome 3's new design and operation it's interesting because it, at one period of time you basically kind of had this choice between uh mate which sort of held on to the gnome 2 paradigm but you had cinnamon which was kind of it was kind of a move forward to the new technology, but yet at one period of time they were both based on the back end by GTK3, yeah, which was, was kind of interesting. was based on GNOME 3, but not very closely as far as the, the, U, the UI goes. No, GNOME 3... Yeah. Right. GTK was originally on GTK2. GNOME 3 wasn't a much... Uh, Mate was originally... GNOME 3 wasn't much of a choice <laughs> when it first came out. I mean, it, it, Sorry. unless you were a Mac yeah. user and that was, that, that was your flow... But even then, it wasn't exactly yeah. stable. Sort of like KDE 4. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Sort of like KDE 4. It took a long time to get stable. If it ever did, indeed. Um, yeah, so anyway, that GNOME 2 desktop that became popular due to the controversy over GNOME 3's new design and operation. Now, if you remember back, around about the same time we got GNOME 3, that was roughly the same time that Windows shocked all their users with Windows 8 and 8.1 and all that, and it really felt like a huge, like we were really getting pushed into a new, it didn't happen, obviously, right, but the whole it felt like we were getting meta, pushed into a uh, desktop thing that they, they touch were trying screen. out um, that, that nobody liked. Yeah. And eight, yeah. The design was Me called Metro. Metro. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Metro, yeah, but um, that didn't last very long. I mean, they they still had it around in eight point one, but it was mostly a default in only eight. Yeah, 
And you could get software, including an open source project out there called Stardex. Um, no, there were a couple uh, of classic shell. classic shell. Yeah, that was one of your more uh, ubiquitous ones, prolific ones that uh, worked really well to give you back kind of the functionality. But uh, yeah, it's it was considered by Windows kind of a. I don't know if they would ever say it was a mistake, but it was probably a short sighted. Uh, idea of the direction that technology was going to go. They might have actually assumed that that was the direction we were going to go. And um, well, if every computer came with a touchscreen, it might have caught on more. But touchscreens were still rather expensive at that time. Yeah, but you know, well, I've got touchscreens here in the house, and I just don't right, use them. Some of it was also that they were trying to um, merge the operating systems between their phones. <laughs> which they did have Windows phones at the time, yeah. and their desktops. And granted, that didn't work, and eventually, you know, Windows phones aren't a thing anymore, but that's what they were really trying to push for. So to move on, in 2012, shortly after the release of Mint 12, Mint 13 Maya, codenamed, a long-term support version was released, which was the first to introduce the Cinnamon desktop. KDE and XFCE were still options as well at this point. So they were actually supporting four different versions. Am I right with that at the time? Yeah. Um, and Cinnamon, yeah, Cinnamon, <laughs> it was what it was in the beginning. I'm glad that we stuck with it because I like it now. But in the beginning, it was a little rough. But, I mean, that's how things... It's got to get out there and people use it to get it, you know, to make it better. Um, 2013 Linux Mint 15 codenamed Olivia arrived uh, based on Ubuntu 1304 and sporting a choice of desktop environments. Cinnamon and Mate were the defaults. Mate designed for older systems while Cinnamon was more powerful modern, uh, for modern computers. KDE and XFC were also available covering a wealth of user preferences. On February 20th, 2016, Linux Mint website was breached by unknown hackers, I remember this, uh, who briefly replaced download links for a version of Linux Mint with a modified version containing malware. The hackers also breached the database of the website's user forum. Linux Mint immediately took its server offline and implemented enhanced security configuration for their website and forum. And I remember their forum was down for quite some time uh, because of all this. It was, people were starting to wonder if it was going to come back. Um, let's see, each, uh, each mint release is given a version number and a female Eastern European name ending in A. In the beginning, there were two Linux Mint releases per year. Following the release of Linux Mint 5 in 2008, every fourth release was labeled a long-term support or LTS release. I didn't, On May, I didn't actually realize that all of the code names have to end in an A. Yeah, that's the first time I'd ever seen that, but yeah. I knew that they were primarily what seemed like... Uh, Russian gymnastics names, but uh, take that, Pixar. They they kind of <laughs> missed the chance by not picking Ursula. Ah, uh, well, give it time. I I was predicting Ursula from the time they came out with the first one. Hmm. Um. Okay, so on May thirty first, twenty fourteen, the release of Linux Mint seventeen. The Linux Mint team adopted a new release strategy. Starting with the release of Mint 17, all future versions were planned to use an LTS version of Ubuntu as a base until 2016. This is strategy. Under this strategy, Mint 17.1 was, re was released November 29, 2014. Mint 17.2 was released on June 30, 2015. And Mint 17.3 was released on December 4, 2015. The 17.x uh, releases are intended to be an easy, optional upgrade. 
All three versions included upgrades to the Cinnamon and Monte desktop environments and various Mint tools. In addition, Mint 17.2 and 17.3 included an upgrade to the LibreOffice suite. The 18.x series follows the pattern set by the 17.x series by using Ubuntu 16.04 LTS as a base. This is the pattern that is still in place as of today. The latest release of Linux Mint 21 Vanessa released on July 20 or July 31st, 2022 as an LTS, it will be supported until 2027. As of Linux Mint 13, there are two main additions, additions developed by the core development team and you, using Ubuntu as a base. One includes Linux Mint's own Cinnamon as desktop environment, while the other uses Mate. There is also a version with XFCE desktop environment by default. Since the release of version 19, Tara, in June of 2018, the three editions are released simultaneously. LMDE, or Linux Mint Debian Edition, is a second alternative version of Linux Mint that uses Debian Stable as a backend rather than Ubuntu. Now, it's important to understand the difference between what is the uh, additions of Mint and what is the version of Mint because you, your, your uh, version of Mint that runs with an Ubuntu backend is very different uh, mechanically or uh, back-end-wise than, than the uh, Debian edition. And uh, users would notice similarity between the two versions in terms of look and feel, but that's where much of the similarity ends. LMDE is simply, uh, is simply the added customizations of Mint on top of a Debian base. While opinions about uh, abound concerning whether LMDE is an improvement or not over the default version, a couple of things are clear and should be considered when deciding whether or not to use, or wh whether or not a user should install LMDE. Uh, first off, LMDE requires a deeper knowledge and experience with Linux and the Debian package management. Uh, Debian is less user friendly than less user-friendly and desktop-ready than Ubuntu with some rough edges. I, you know, I'm not sure it's fair to just say something like that full stop. It just depends on what your uh, experience with Linux is. If you've been around since the beginning and you've gotten accustomed to some of the very, you know, traditional tools that we've used to maintain a system, then you're going to, you're going to get along just fine with Debian and you might be more comfortable with that than you would be with, um, with a GUI type option. Um, but it, I guess for the average user, you might run into, if you're expecting uh, LMDE to have all of the same usability options that the regular version has, then you might run into some trouble. I think that's the only thing we mean by that. Yeah, Clem um, is doing the best he can to make LMDE run like Linux Mint, but there are limitations and he's having to find some interesting workarounds. As such, LMDE is not updated as often. What you know, I would argue that people that are going to use the LMDE version would probably prefer to have a system with the with the Mint tools on top of it, with the Mint customizations. But you know, leave the underlying customizations and options and setup to me because these are things that you know I'm comfortable with doing, and that's why I go to a distro like that. But that's just my my thought. Isn't um, the XFC edition just as official as the Mate? Because you said there are two cores editions, Cinema and Mate. Yeah, I don't know. I, I copy and pasted that as well, but I was a little confused as I read that too. But, I mean, to be clear, there is three uh, major editions. It's just three separate desktops. I think what they probably meant by that was that... That the uh, Mint team is taking part in the development of Mate. You know. Yeah, 
mate and certainly cinnamon. I'm not sure that they do much with XFCE One other than other just ship thing. it. Does, uh, I know that Debian still supports 32-bit. Does LMD have a 32-bit ISO? Because I know that, for example, yes. for example MX does. Okay. Yes. Do they? Oh, okay, yeah, okay, so then that's, that's a good... Well, uh, a plus point for for LMD because you can get uh, Ubuntu a regular mint on 32-bit. Yeah. In fact, oh, Clem plus. strictly says that they since they no longer support 32-bit for Linux Mint, if you still have a 32-bit machine, you should be using LMDE. I mean, that you're, you're not going to get much more of a modern operating system on a 32-bit machine than something like that. Um, beginning with the release of Linux Mint 19, the KDE edition was officially discontinued. However, the KDE 17.x and 18.x releases were supported until 2019 and 2021, respectively. Older releases, now also obsolete, included editions that uh, featured the GNOME, LXDE, and Fluxbox desktop environments by default. Let me interject here, Bill. Um, because Mint dropped the KDE, there was, based on LMDE2, um, another distribution that came out with um, called SolidX slash K. Yeah, yeah. And uh, SolidX is with XFCE and Solid K is with uh, Plasma. And it hasn't been reconfigured since LMDE2. It would be nice if they redid it on LMDE5 or something. And you know, if you really wanted to get frosty with it, you can install these desktops yourself and get all this stuff working. I don't know that I would recommend doing that, but the it's, it's an LMD option. LMDE itself, as, as far as I know, it only comes with Cinnamon, which uh, I'm... I, I'm thinking maybe Mate or XFC would be a better choice for, for older computers. So I kind of wish the LMD, I kind of wish LMD had at least an XFC version. So if you could have the 32-bit ISO for, a, uh, for an older computer. From better than with well, Yeah, That's what SolidX slash K is good for. If it was only up to date. Um, well, it's up to date itself. Thoughts. It's just not updated with later LMDE versions. Oh. So it's just a matter of getting into the sources.list file and changing that to Buster. I'm sure nothing would go wrong. Some final thoughts. Mint was not the first distro I ever installed. However, it is the first distro I used in the wild, meaning the first one that I used for any extended period of time. Much of that, much of the reason for that was the out-of-box availability of many multimedia codecs needed to watch videos and listen to MP3s, as Ubuntu didn't ship with these in the early days. As time went on, and eventually Ubuntu started shipping with the necessary codecs, some began to question the relevance of a distro like Mint in the Linux desktop space. Those questions were once again answered when the GNOME project arguably went off the rails with GNOME 3, a complete reimagining of the des desktop metaphor. The Mint team was prompt to introduce two usable offerings to the desktop space. Cinnamon, which was based on the new GTK 3, and Mate, which was at the time based on the still relevant GTK 2. Mate has since moved on to more recent versions of GTK Plus Toolkit, Mint continues to maintain its relevance by offering a well-curated desktop experience that just works, ignoring the usual hype surrounding new technologies and changing tool chains. Mint continues to be a solid option, a solid option for the general-purpose Linux desktop user. And that's all I got. And to we say have to give a lot that. of thanks to Martin Wimpress for continuing to improve the Mate desktop yeah that that's been a lab, labor of love i mean true talk uh since he's been on the project you know that's i don't use it that much um i have used it but i i you know the the 
contribution that he's made to that project has been notable since the get-go, and that is that is a solid option to go with. Um, anyway, uh, that concludes our uh, today's lesson. Next week, we're going to get into, I guess, what, the Arches, guys? The independent distros. We're not the doing Arch. Arches this time? Yeah, starting with Arch. Nah, let's let's oh, move on, shall we? <laughs> yeah, we'll do. I was wondering why that was in the notes, but we'll we'll, well fix that. to carry it forward to um, the next episode, as we have the last episode. Okay, well, yeah, next next week we'll get into those, and I suppose I use Arch all the time, so I'll probably be talking a little bit about that, and we'll get into Manjaro and the stuff that uh, there's been some projects that have came and went based on arch over the years um that were relevant to me in the early days and uh then there are some very interesting projects a couple of which uh are out there right now that are still based on arch and are still thriving we'll get into all that uh on the next show though Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit, which I've recently been um, efforting to bring back to life. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. Next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Standard Time on Sunday, November 27th, 2022. And there's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, November 19th, 2022. There's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. There's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream. To wrap up, Joe, where, we, well, where can, can we get a hold of you on a you couple at? of my other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can get at tllts.org. You can catch me on Linux Lugcast, which you can find linuxlugcast.com. We'd love to have anybody on the show that wants to join uh, first and third Fridays of each month. Um, I'm not really using MeWe anymore, but you can still send me an email, jb at midcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee on Kofi. Moss. Oh. You can hear me every every week on Full Circle Weekly News. I am on Distro Hopper's Digest, which is approximately monthly. Uh, you can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. My mastodon is at zyla at hosttux.social. And other information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill? Well, you can email me, bill at mincast.org. I'm Bill underscore H on Discord, at WCHauser3 on Twitter, the same on Facebook. Also, check out my other podcast, uh, Three Fat Truckers. The website is 3ftpodcast.org. Norbert, how about you? You can send me an email at norbertadmincast.org. And now we can also follow me on Mastodon at, at odoburn at c.im. And I will try to remember the NATO alphabet from memory. So that's uh, Oscar, Delta, Oscar, Bravo, Echo, November, at Charlie dot, uh, what's I? India, India. and uh, mm, mm, Mike. Mike. But Mike is sort of place because all of the other names are proper names and Mike is a nickname. Yeah, I suppose. Could it be Michael? Alpha's a proper name? Bravo? Well, all 
all of the ones that are names. Although like names Juliet names and Romeo used, and I guess. Like the short for it's not Julie. <laughs> I I don't know. Whatever. The ones that are names are full names, full given names yeah. and not nicknames, except Mike. That's that's an interesting uh observation. Foxtrot. Uh we'll have to get your Yeah, that's a good name. I, w I wish my parents would have named me Foxtrot. Um, okay, so before we leave and Moss loses his mind, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Norbert Londoner, Tony H., Audio Freak, and all others for our auto audio editing. Josh Lowe and myself for all the way work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. Annette RD for our animated Discord logo. Londoner for our time sync. Myself for hosting the Linode, which runs our website. Just love thanking myself. That just that's not awkward at all. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. Last but not least, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about each fortnight. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint.